0: Welcome back to the program. We all know the equation E equals mc squared. We've all heard of Einstein's theory of general relativity, but how many know what it means, how it came to be, and how relevant it might be today, 100 years after it was put forth? Much has been written about Einstein, but my guest, Pedro Ferreira, gives us a real biography of general relativity and explains why we should still care about it. Pedro Ferreira is a professor of astrophysics at the University of Oxford. He's an expert in cosmology, the early universe, and general relativity. He's a regular commentator for the BBC and the author of a new book entitled The Perfect Theory, A Century of Genius in the Battle Over General Relativity. Pedro Ferreira, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Well, thanks so much for having me.
0: It's great to have you here. I want to talk first of all about why this theory has had its ups and downs over the past hundred years. It was, of course, received one way initially, and then Einstein even encouraged people to disprove the theory. They weren't able to do so, and then at a certain point, it went into descendancy. Talk a little bit about the arc of that history.
1: Yeah, so it's it's a fascinating story. It's almost it's it's a bit like a biography of a person, right? It it has a it has a difficult birth, then it has a glorious hubristic youth where a lot of stuff is done, and then for some reason, just before middle age, it falls apart. People it 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 falls apart, and it has a trek through the wilderness in which people don't really want to work on it, um, and then. In, in the 1960s, it takes off again. And uh, I don't know, there are many reasons. First of all, you know, when Einstein discovered it, um, there, was a, there was this period where people were able to calculate stuff very quickly. And, and it, you know, it, it, it's what I call the low-hanging fruit. Stuff came out, which was fantastic. The expanding universe, um, the first ideas about black holes, and it was just wonderful. Then, uh, in the 1930s, so the theory was basically discovered in 1915. In the 1930s, its younger sister upstaged it, quantum mechanics took off. And quantum mechanics was so much easier to deal with. You could do experiments in the lab, you know, it led to the atom bomb. It was, it, it, it was more real. And Einstein's theory was a, quite mathematical, quite esoteric, and was, was in some sense shunned. Einstein himself became more and more obsessed with his mathematical ideas and wasn't taken very seriously. And it was only in the 1950s, late 1950s, when a few charismatic characters decided to to look at it and, 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 and resurrect it and look at it more carefully that, that it took off again. And and that was what a, a the Caltech physicist Kip Thorne called the golden age of general relativity, when black holes were properly understood, when expanding universe, when the, the relic radiation from the Big Bang was, was measured. I mean, it was,
0: it was really a fantastic time. Talk a little bit about the math, because as you talk about it, when Einstein first began considering this, it was in the context of these thought experiments in ways that were in some ways easier to understand, easier to comprehend, and yet that he became very involved in the non-Euclidean geometry that he had to learn for this, and really got bogged down in the math in many respects.
1: Well, exactly. So, so the thing about Einstein was that he, 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 did, he was very good at thinking, and he was very good at thinking things through and, and, and thinking a lot in a very focused way about specific problems. And he would get away by doing these thought experiments and figuring out how things worked. And then he knew math. You know, he was a good math student, and he would use just enough math to, to, to explain his ideas. He was suspicious about mathematics, and for example, with regards to his special relativity, he thought that when the math- mathematicians took it over, that they ruined it. But he comes to a point, so he starts in 1907 to try and think about general relativity, and, and he comes to a point that he realizes that he can't progress any further, and so he goes to a mathematician friend of his and says, look, I'm stuck, I don't know what to do with it. His friend, a guy called Marcel Grossman, hands him a book and the paper and says, look, I think this is the language that, that you need to use. And it is, as you said, the language of non-Euclidean geometry. It's the, the geometry that you would apply to any surface, not just to the flat surfaces that we're used to in high school. I say in my book that it's a bit like Einstein had to, a bit like learning Sanskrit and writing a novel from scratch, that Einstein had to learn this math and then start to rethink everything in terms of this new mathematics. And that was the thing that did it. Once he, once he had the right mathematics, he could set up his
0: theory. Except that after he set up the theory, it seems that he became overtaken by the math and never really was as effective in trying to explain it outside of the mathematical equation. Well, so here's
1: the bizarre thing. As you say, you know, from then on, he was completely enamored with the mathematical beauty, and that was the driver for what he did for the next 30 years. And many would argue that what he did for the next 30 years was completely irrelevant. But what was also fascinating is you know, he comes up with general relativity which is a mathematical theory and you have a set of equations and you can make predictions and you make predictions and then if it's the theory of the universe or the theory of the world you should embrace these predictions. Whenever a prediction would be made with his theory that he didn't like he would say that it would be just a mathematical artifact that it wasn't real physics that the theory was being pushed beyond its validity. So he lived in this kind of schizophrenic superposition in which he believed in his intu- in, in intuition on the one hand, which made him reject the right things, but then believed in mathematical purity in the, in, in, in
0: other situations and made him think about the wrong things. It was, it was a very interesting uh, dichotomy. I want to go back to general relativity and really what it was. It was, in effect, combining two previous theories that had seemed incompatible with each other.
1: Exactly. So... Basically, by the time Einstein had come up with special relativity, special relativity had had done this amazing thing, which was combine the, what we understood about light with what we understood about the rest of physics, mechanics, in some sense. And one of the things to come out of that was that there was a, in some sense, a finite speed, the finite speed of light. Now, uh, and it's the speed. There's a finite. The speed. There's nothing faster than the speed of light. Now, um, when you look at um, gravity, the way that people had thought of gravity for uh, you know, many, de- many centuries was that it was an action at a distance that the effect of gravity could propagate instantaneously and that just doesn't fit, that, it just doesn't work so Einstein had to bring together what's known as Newtonian gravity the law of gravity that Newton had, to, had to come up with with his modern understanding of light and mechanics and, and that was this great synthesis is what led to general relativity
0: and even Einstein, once he got general relativity figured out, felt that it was part of something larger that, that really never came together. Exactly. He spent, he spent
1: decades. You know, Once he'd done this incredible, in some sense, unification, he wanted to unify even more. He wanted to unify everything. And so he wanted to come up with the meta-theory that brought absolutely everything together in, in one simple way of looking at it. Unfortunately, the ways that he came up with weren't very simple.
0: And what's happened since then in terms of trying to use general relativity as this basis for trying to unify more, and how it runs headlong into some of the realities of quantum mechanics?
1: Well, it's one of the big problems. One of the big problems is this you know, wonderful theory of, of, of gravity, which is Einstein's theory of general relativity, simply doesn't combine well with, with quantum physics. It, it, there are these inconsistencies, and people have tried in various ways using something called string theory and other theories, loop quantum gravity, and they all have problems. And and more interestingly, sociologically, they're all at loggerheads with each other. Um, There's a very clear idea that something has to change dramatically in
0: our understanding of either gravity or general relativity and quantum physics for things to work. Talk about the relevance then of general relativity today. Well, I, you know, I can't resist mentioning um, what's just happened. Uh, you're probably
1: aware of the announcement on, 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 on Monday in which a group at Harvard announced that they'd discovered gravitational waves um, from, the, from the Big Bang. Okay, so there, there are a number of things about this. First of all, Einstein predicted the existence of gravitational waves, which are basically ripples in space-time, you know, almost 100 years ago. This is the first time that we are seeing them, and I would say directly. The other thing is these are gravitational waves from the very early universe, which means that the universe was very different at early times. Again, that comes out of general relativity. It's general relativity that led us to understand that the universe was expanding, was much hotter in the past. But all of this, all of this, I mean, this is a great thing that just happened a few days ago. All of this comes out of general relativity.
0: This idea of the expanding universe, this was something that Einstein at first didn't really want to believe. They're very true, very true. I mean, there's a classic
1: story. There was a, one of the people who got his equations, solved them and discovered that the universe was expanding, came to him and told him about it and showed him the math. And he said, your math is correct, but your physics is abominable. It's, it's exactly one of those cases where Einstein didn't want to believe the mathematical predictions from his own theory, which is very strange. And he missed the trick because you know, a few years later, so this happened in 1927, a few years later, evidence for the expanding universe was found and Einstein had to recant and embrace the expanding universe.
0: And talk a little bit about having to embrace that and, and it does seem that Einstein got crankier as the years went on. It is true, it is, tr- it is true. I mean, he, he made so many wrong calls. Another fascinating
1: one is he, so in 1915, a, 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 a German astronomer, who uh, was fighting on the eastern front, receives I- the first paper of Einstein's theory of general relativity and solves it and comes up with a solution, which is basically the solution of what ha- happens around a, a a heavy spherical object. And it's a strange solution. It looks fine if you're far away from it, but if you're close by, it has these strange properties. The space-time is very warped and Einstein, you know, received this paper and, and um, he thought, oh, it's very interesting, but th- these This bit, this strange bit, is just a mathematical artifact. Now, it turns out that this was a man called Carl Schwarzschild, and he had written down the first solution for a black hole in Einstein's theory. And You know, black holes in the 1960s and and now, we know they exist, we know they're all over the place, and they're a crucial bit of astronomy. But Einstein, he just refused to accept it because he thought the maths was weird
0: talk a little bit about time travel which was something that that people started to read into general relativity which einstein also kind of shunned
1: well again it's you know this is one of those situations where it's difficult to know what to do so um, if you get hold of the, the the theory of einstein's theory you you have to think of space and time as space and time become this this thing that becomes alive. It's this dynamical thing. And one of the things you can do is you can bend and fold it and you can do strange things to it. One of the things you can do is you can create paths such that you go through that path and you move back in time. Now that was done by his dear friend Kurt Gödel. He he constructed such a solution to his equations. But then you can ask yourself, well, you know, if Einstein's theory predicts that there can be space times with these known as closed time-like curves and that you can go back in time. Is that a problem with the theory? Should we throw away those solutions or is there something more fundamentally wrong? And this here, it, I think it's, it's still open for debate. We're still not sure what to do with these, with, with these strange space-times.
0: If Einstein had not re- essentially turned on his own theory, do you have a sense that he might have been able to do more in terms of expanding the parameters of general relativity? It's, a, it's an interesting question.
1: I, never see, I don't see him as turning on his theory. I would say that he, he, would, he was reluctant to accept the strange stuff to come out of his theory, even though the strange stuff was interesting. He still thought it was his greatest discovery, but he just thought that there were things which were just not, you know, people shouldn't take too seriously. I think the other mistake is, I think he went in the wrong direction. He decided to try generalize the approach that he took to, to constructing that theory to to bigger things, and he just got it wrong. I think you're right. I think if
0: he had focused more on general relativity, he, would have, he may have done greater things. It's interesting, of course, that Einstein did not win the Nobel Prize for general relativity, actually, but for something else. Exactly. I, I think, and I'm not sure, but I think he won it for
1: something to do with atomic physics and statistical mechanics, something called the photoelectric effect. You know, you're absolutely right. He didn't win it for, for general relativity.
0: How does general relativity hold up today as in terms of the math, in terms of the theory?
1: It's a fantastic theory. General relativity is a superb... I called my book The Perfect Theory because I do think to a lot of us it is the perfect theory. It's, it's this, well, you know, deceptively simple set of equations. I mean, we use it still to calculate... I myself have worked now for years trying to figure out how to test if it's wrong, but to be honest, it's very difficult to, to to find anything wrong with it. It just seems to work so incredibly well.
0: And yet, when it runs into quantum mechanics, talk about the ways in which those two theories we mentioned before that they they are incompatible in some respects. Talk about how. Well, the 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 I think the the kind of classic problem is that if you if
1: you try and marry quant, uh, gravity with with quantum mechanics. Um, you, you run into the, what is known as the problem of infinity. If you try to w- work out the values of certain processes, what happens if you collide certain things, um, you get infinite numbers. And there's no way to fix that. There's just no way to understand what's what's going on there. It, it, and there really is no way. There are no tricks that can let you calculate meaningful things. Now, you want a theory in which you can calculate and you can make meanif- meaningful predictions that then you can measure. It's just not possible at the moment with quantum gravity.
0: To what extent are people still looking at general relativity and trying to really move it to, to a new level? Um, I it's, it's an
1: incredibly active field of research. I mean, uh, one of the things that happened recently, which I, I love, is you know the, the equations look deceptively simple, but they're actually quite difficult to solve. One of the ways that you can solve them is by putting them on a computer. Um, you would think that that is easy it's not. It took forty years for people to try and figure out what would happen, for example, if you had two black holes orbiting each other and falling into each other the, the It was only in two thousand and five was this done properly and uh, which is I think mind blowing it just shows the sheer difficulty but also the, you know the sheer effort that has gone into it and it, it's paying off I mean we now we've now we're now building or we've built a detector to look for gravitational waves for exactly these collisions, these black holes falling into each other. So it's an incredibly lively field of
0: research. Talk about it in the context of something you mentioned before, the meaning of finding these these waves, these gravitational waves from Big Bang.
1: Okay well that's, so you know, one of the last big things that we would we'd love to see, which I think we've seen on Monday, is, is could we see these ripples of space-time? And, Think of these ripples as, you know, you, 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 something, some event happens in space-time and it shakes it and shudders and it sets off ripples, like ripples of sound or ripples in water. Uh, we would like to see that. And for, for, for decades now, we've been building instruments to look for these things more in terms of astrophysics, like neutron stars falling into each other or black holes falling into each other. But the other possible sources from the very early hot beginnings of the universe, very violent times, interesting things happen. You would set off these, these gravitational waves as well. These are the ones that were detected on Monday. And talk about the way that they're being looked at and the way they're being looked for today. So the way that they're being looked at is, I mean, there are two two ways. Well, there are more than two ways, but the main ways is one is you build these huge detectors on, on Earth, which are these incredibly well-calibrated laser interfer- interferometers, beams, laser beams, which bounce back and forth from these perfectly calibrated mirrors. The idea is that if a gravity wave passes through this system, it'll shake the mirrors ever so slightly. And these beams of light will be, will, the path length will change a bit and you'll pick up an effect. An example of this of this is what's known as, as LIGO, which is based in the US. Another way is by doing what the group at Harvard have done, which is just stare at the relic light, light left over from the Big Bang, and at the polarization of that light. And that polarization will be slightly twisted in a funny way
0: if there are a gravitational wave.
1: And it's exactly that twist that's been detected.
0: And what's so interesting is here we are 100 years later and this theory is still holding up.
1: Oh, oh, I think it's the wonderful... I, I just think GR just keeps on giving. I mean, it's it really is a wonderful field to be working in.
0: Pedro Ferreria, the book is The Perfect Theory, A Century of Genius and the Battle Over General Relativity. Pedro, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Well, thank you so much for speaking to me. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.